Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Breakpoint Podcast, starring myself, Frankie, my co-host, Marcus, and returning as a special guest host, Lucas Pickering from Schoolyard Social. Hey, guys. So pumped to be back. Um, when I got the text that uh, you guys were doing a Fed Sember, uh, Fed December, I I got so pumped. So I can't wait to talk about my favorite athlete um, and who I believe is the greatest tennis player of all time. So super pumped to be here. Um, can't wait. I love it. Love the energy. And as Lucas said, we are going to be kicking off Fed Sember, which Marcus mentioned in the last episode. And that's going to be our main series for this off season. So Marcus, part one, Fed Sember. What are we talking about? Lucas, thank you so much for joining, man. Really appreciate it. Uh, first part of Fed Sember, we are going to be discussing Roger's uh, greatest accomplishments. We're each going to give one. We're going to give our reasons why. Uh, and the reason why we're doing this is because we want it to be very open-ended. We don't want to be specifics in terms of exactly what tournaments, although you can go that route. But there's so much in Roger's career that you can piece together, that you could look at from a bird's eyes view get really deep into the granular details about his accomplishments as a professional tennis player, all of which are pretty much absurd. Um, so that's kind of where we want to start because uh, we want to praise the man. He has been, you know, all of our idols throughout the last 20 years, basically since we came out of the womb. Uh, he's pretty much all we've ever known. And it's kind of weird knowing that he's like done. So, uh, you know, Fed Semper is really here to honor the man. So, uh, let's start off with our guest of honor, Lucas. Hit us with what you think is Fed's greatest accomplishment in the sport of tennis. So, yeah, it's tough to go with like one thing that's the greatest thing, um, greatest accomplishment of Fed. Um, I'm going to give you two right now because I want to give one that's like a quantitative statistical um, measurement of his greatness. And the other is a little bit more abstract and like, you know, you can't really put a number on it. Um, but the first one is the 237 weeks at world number one um, consecutive weeks. I think, you know, the, the person who's in second place is Jimmy Connors with 160 Um you know, I think Novak is either like fourth or fifth on that list. And he, you know, just kind of dwar- like he's over a hundred weeks more than Novak when it comes to consecutive weeks. And I think people forget that in that period when he was number one from January of 2004 to September of 2008, um, there really wasn't anyone close to him, you know? And I think people forget that like, the generation that he came up with, the Hewitts, the Roddicks, the Nalbandians, the Davidenkos, the Saffins, um, I mean, he just obliterated, you know, they, they had fine careers, but Fed destroyed them, you know, and it, and it really wasn't until Rafa came in 06 that we finally had a rival that we thought was like, okay, this is different. You know, this guy can actually, um, you know, he can go toe to toe with fed. Um, and so, you know, that's a lot of respect to, to Rafa for being the first guy to do it. 
Um, and I know I've talked for a while, but I just want to say one more thing about it is that I, th- I think, you know, my theory here is that, um, and we'll talk later about how loved Federer is um, in the tennis community, but also worldwide of sports. But um, I think if Rafa never came into the picture in 06, um, I don't think we would love Federer the way we do. Because I think his level of dominance was so, like, you know, when I first got into the sport, I was a huge Roddick guy. And I remember those years of like 04, 05, Roddick was close. You know, he was making Wimbledon finals. He was making runs at the U.S. Open. But Fed just always had his number. Um, And I remember just being like, this guy is kind of a machine, you know, similar to the way people think of Novak, you know, and... um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how you guys think about that take, but I, I do think the influence of Rafa coming in brought a lot of fans to Rafa. And then, you know, you either stayed with Fed or you left for another player. So, um, so yeah, I'll, I'll start with that. I got my, my other thing that I'll save because I want to hear what you guys think about that first one. Yeah, I, I think that's a great pick. I think it really highlights how dominant fed was and this is something that i've said on this podcast and off of this podcast when defending federer whenever somebody says that that era was weak whatever it may be uh that's a load of nonsense that era had a lot of really good players the definition of dominance is that you win everything and make everyone look bad that's that's just you can't be dominant and then have other like players almost as great as you are around you seemingly like that that is how you become dominant is by making them look bad and Federer I think did that more than anyone else in the big three he really had an era that was just completely and utterly his and there was no one close to Federer in his prime uh that I completely agree with my quantitative stat I'll save my qualitative one also is that Roger uh sorry I just lost it Jesus uh, is the success of Grand Slams. So it's a, it's a very similar one to Lucas. Federer made 10 Grand Slams in a row, like finals, from 2005 to 2007. That is just a, a staggering like thing to say. Um, it's unprecedented in the sports history, and like I understand he didn't win all of them. He won most of them. He didn't win all of them. But I, I just think like the fact that this man in 10 consecutive grand slams on different ser- like e- like not they're not all on different services obviously but you know <laughs> like different services different conditions like is able to make the final no matter what he's really the first player that we've ever had in this sport that his game transcended any surface he was the first like best offensive player on tour and the best defensive player on the tour at the same time while also having, Oh yeah, by the way, top five serve of all time. So it's, it's just, there's so many, so many things that I could say about Roger, but I think that that stat for me, if I had to pick one, um, I also agree with the number one ranked, obviously I think that's very clear show of dominance, but I think that the grand slams in a row is a really telling statistic that like this guy anytime he stepped onto the court for probably like four or five years was favored to win the tournament. Like not even the match, just the tournament. 
there's this episode is is almost doesn't do him justice because there's so much that we could talk about. But the world number one one, it, it's it's pretty crazy. But I think there are some crazier ones. Even even there's one that I even think that is crazier than one that even Frank just dropped, which is already insane. Ten Grand Slam finals in a row, and this this relates to it, but it's not my pick. But I do want to mention it. Uh, is 23 consecutive Grand Slam finals. That is, oh. what is that? Six but years in a row. Finals, no, 23. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, that sorry, makes more sense. Yeah. Tw- I apologize. 23 consecutive Grand Slam semifinals. That's six years in a row, where he's he's won. He wins his first five matches at Grand Slams. Usually. I doubt he even drops a set in most of them. Uh, I mean, goes to five sets or, you know, it, it's just insane. My my personal one for him is his two Australian Open wins at the ages of 35 and 36. I think it was remarkable because he hadn't won a Grand Slam since 2012, right? So – in his late 30s, sorry, early 30s, where we thought, okay, you know what, maybe he's kind of done. Nadal and Joker are, are dominating. You know, it doesn't seem like Federer's got enough in the tank to even win another one. We thought he was going to retire in 2013. He looked horrible. I remember he lost to like Daniel Brands. No offense to Daniel Brands, but Jesus Christ. He lost to Daniel Brands like 6 3, 6 2 on clay. Like what? He lost to Tommy Robredo at the open. We thought he was just done. People, even including myself, were like, "I he should probably retire at this point, just go off, you know, and, and not even bother anymore." But he comes back five years after that, at the age of thirty-five, which at that point we had never really heard of anybody that old winning a Grand Slam since Rod Laver does it, and then he does it again. It beats Nadal, by the way, in three out of five at the Australian Open, which was also pretty crazy. And then he beats Chilich again in five sets in twenty eighteen. That is, for me, his greatest accomplishment, winning those final two Grand Slams uh, at the Australian Open in 2017. Yeah, I, I want to piggyback off that because, Marcus, that was the second one I put down is is the 2017 uh, season because this was off a six-month layoff. You know, he had, like, meniscus surgery. You know, he would – you know, no one had even – he just took the rest of the year off and – I remember that first match of the Australian Open and, and like everyone was like worried. They were like, okay, what what Fed is going to show up? You know, like no one really knew. And, you know, people forget, but that Australian Open, he played three five-setters. He played one against Katie Shikori. He played one against Stan Favrinka. And Stan on those courts is obviously a monster. And then he beats Nadal in five when he had never beaten Nadal um, on a hard court at a grand slam before. And he was down a break in the fifth. You know, I think it's like a fed fan. That was the most, like, it was like, holy sh-, you know, like that was one of the greatest moments of any fed fan. Yeah. I mean, I just, you know, if you were to tell us in 2014 or whatever, 2015, that fed would come back a breakdown in the fifth to beat Rafa for the Australian, you know, we would never believe that. So, you know, I think that 2017 year, not only that Australian, but he turned the tide against Rafa like that, that hardly ever happens in rivalries, but like he, he plays him in Indian Wells and Miami 
Beats him in Indian Wells, 6'2", 6'3". Beats him in Miami, 6'3", 6'4". Back-to-back tournaments. Um, he wins Wimbledon without dropping a set. He just he, – his legs look fresh. He's coming to net more. He's got the bigger racket. You know, it's like he played some of the greatest tennis he's ever played in that 2017 year and, and completely unprecedented for a 35-year-old, you know. So I, I, you know, I second that, Marcus. I think that's a great call. Yeah, I, I will third it. But my only thing is, is like, as complimenting as I will be about somebody adapting their game and like making those adjustments that he did, it was also, in fairness, people were saying that he needed to do all of these things for years. And he just refused to do it. And he was a little bit stubborn. And by the time that he made the switch, he was 35. I almost like think that there's another great tennis what if if like what if Roger in 2012 like after Novak's ascension makes the switch to a bigger racket frame and adjusts his game style right away you know it it is a very sort of interesting question but nonetheless like none not a lot of these guys ever really make that switch so late in life and and Fed did and I agree with Lucas I think that was like Federer second prime really i mean that, that's that's what it is uh, it, which at 35 sounds ridiculous but it is true yeah i will just say frankie to that point about like not changing his it no one could play with a 90 square inch racket that was you know almost a pound heavy it was you know, dead the, it was dead by then yeah it was it, dead by then it's just like, but it was also just the swaggiest thing. It's like, okay, Fed's still using this. It's so hard to play with, and yet he's still so good with it. You know, like he probably would have been better. Yeah. Literally, nobody's using less than a 95 right. besides him. Right. Which just makes it that <laughs> much cooler. But, you know, to your point, he probably would have been better if he had changed earlier. Yeah. I, I mean, I, that's that's sort of my only thing is like, I remember being like, 13 in 2010 and watching fed and he was the only one using a racket like that at that point like towards the top end of the tour and it was just like okay if this guy makes a switch like and just helps himself out a little bit like he could probably be like more competitive than what he is right now but almost all these tennis guys are so stuck in their ways. Like you can't even get them to change strings. Forget, forget changing a racket. So, um, you know, it is what it is. Uh, just to sort of move on to something that although is not necessarily like a quantitative stat, I think fits in the qualitative, in the quantitative care category in a way, describing something qualitative. You'll see what I mean when I say it. I think that the most important accomplishment that Fed has is winning fan favorite 19 years in a row, as well as winning the uh, the what the the French award, the Lorraine award, the Lorraine World Sportsman of the Year award. He's won that a record five times. No other athlete has more than him. And that award is for anyone in any sort of sports bracket. And Federer has the most ever. So more than his two sporting idols that he's mentioned, if you listen to the Daily Show interview, Michael Schumacher and Tiger Woods. Uh, Roger has more than both of them. They both have uh, four, I believe. But I think that that is something that is a really underappreciated thing 
about Roger is that he carried this sport on his back for a very long time. And like, yes, Nadal and Djokovic are phenomenal athletes. They are exceptional. And statistically, maybe they're even better, right? But I think neither Rafa nor Novak have that Michael Jordan effect where like they transcend the sport. Like the the sport is smaller than them. And Roger has that. Roger is bigger than the sport of tennis. And it's very, very rare. There's real, and, and it doesn't even exist in every sport where the athlete becomes bigger than the sport itself. And Roger Federer has that with tennis. And I think that that award and him winning it as often as he did, and it was just like, it wasn't even a debate. It was just like a, you know, we don't even need to count the votes. Roger got it. I think that that sort of shows you exactly what Roger was to this sport. Frankie, it was it was 19, 19 times he won it. Yeah, I mean, so I had a very similar thing for my qualitative. Um, and it was, um, you know, slightly different, but it's it's the awe factor. Like just the, the you know, I, I think what makes Fed so amazingly likable is that he's not only the fan favorite, but he's also like the locker room favorite. You know, you hear these guys talk about, you hear like Kyrios talk about Federer, you hear um, OJ Aliassim talk about Federer, you hear, you know, whatever, all these young guys, Tommy Paul, Mackenzie McDonald. It's like Federer is their Jordan. When Federer walks into a room, it's like, holy shit, that's Federer. But it's also the, the fact of like, when Federer's on a court, especially when he was in his prime, he just hit shots that other players couldn't do. You know, he he went for shots that other people wouldn't try. You know, his creativity, his artistry, his grace, his, you know, it just every single part. Like, you can watch Novak Djokovic and be like, God, he's so consistent. He's He's so mentally tough. But, like... If I slept in a hyperbaric chamber and I ate perfectly every day and I slept eight and a half hours and I ran as much, maybe I could, you know, find a way to be like him. People would watch Federer and be like, okay, yeah, I just can't do that. You know, like that's just, that's just not, I just, that's just a different level. Um, so I think, you know, the fact that he is the fan favorite and I think he is the player's favorite. He's also, like Frankie said, brought tennis to a different market. I mean, Federer created like a billion-dollar brand. He's going to be a billionaire, and he's a Swiss tennis player. You know, it's not like there were any Switzerland athletes before Federer that was like, that's not like a crazy marketable country. And, you know, not only that, um, you know, it's like, the the like how smart he was with his business dealings so just not only the fans not only the players but also brands you know so it just it just adds to this point that he's one of the if not the most likable athletes on the planet um and i think that just says so much about him and so you know this is not really in the greatest of all time kind of conversation but in terms of what he's done for tennis i don't think there's you know, Serena's in that argument, but other than Serena, I don't think there's anyone even remotely close. Um, 
to to Federer in that. Yeah, he is clearly in in that sense he's had the greatest influence on the sport. You know, he is the MJ of tennis. It's plain and simple. Um, there's there's no other way to kind of describe that. There's no one who else who who even comes close to that. You know what I mean? It's just him and in his own kind of category. And the way that he's kind of transcended the sport is probably going to be unmatched. That we'll probably never see again. I mean, we're certainly not seeing it with this generation um, of players. Carlos is somebody who can kind of do it, you know, but more like a Nadal style. But the class with which Federer played. The style, the the grace, the the kindness, the the suaveness. I mean, it, it's definitely unmatched. Um, another one, and I, and I keep harping back on the Grand Slam record just because it kind of blows my mind. And this will probably be one of the last ones that we discuss. Is that he made? Again, I know I I, I said a similar one before, but this one also just blows my mind. Thirty six consecutive Grand Slam quarterfinals. That's what is that? What is that? Nine years? Nine years in a row? He made every single quarterfinal? I mean, that's that, that, that's not even fathomable. Because also, you know what else I think that we need to mention with Fed? His greatest accomplishment is that the guy, besides towards the end of the career, oh, he never, I don't believe Federer ever retired from a match. Yeah, never once. Never defaulted from a tour level, like, yeah, never with mid match. Mid match. Exactly. Never retired from a match, mid-match, which is absurd to think about how healthy this guy stayed for all those years to the point where not even nothing bothered him. And it's because his technique was so flawless, rarely had injury, had a couple of freak accidents with his knee towards the end of his career, like when he was picking up his kid out of the bathtub and just ripped out his meniscus. But like, he's like, yeah, okay, whatever, you know, I'll come back and win the Australian twice where it happened. Like, What? Yeah, no, it's it's definitely an insane – and, you know, I think people don't – you know, he doesn't get enough respect for – you know, he's played over whatever, 1,400 matches, 1,500, whatever number it is, and to never retire mid-match, you can't expect, you know, all those matches he was feeling fine. You know, he's playing through pain through a lot of that. And I don't think people real because his technique is so graceful because he moves so well. Um, I don't think people really understand how much toughness and grit and and how much he battles through, you know, aches and pains and you know temperature and humidity and you know sun like whatever like all the things that go on in a tennis match that affects people. He was able to make that seems so easy yeah and i think another thing that we need to think about when we talk about roger's durability and how many matches is that his matches were far like he his matches were more intense than most of rafa's and novak's and i say that in like a quantitative measure for most of roger's prime masters 1000 events were three out of five they were not two out of three like they are now the the finals yeah only the yeah yeah well guess who was making the finals of almost all of them exactly so yeah yeah and i think that 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 is sort of my point is like there's a lot of like although roger rafa and novak we think of as being in the same era there is an argument in there to say like no they're not like roger was just roger was well past his peak by the time that rafa and novak were at their peak and like 
it was only during Rogers like second peak when he adjusted his game and accepted his age really that he was truly able to go against the two of them. But at that time it was probably just too little. It was, it was just a little bit too late. Like he his physically, like he, once you're past 35, you just don't have that much time left. I think that another thing I would say about Roger, you know, sort of my last big accomplishment of him would be that he made everyone myself Rafa Nadal, Novak Djokovic, like you name it, like it doesn't matter. Any sort of tennis fan think that the records that we take for granted right now of 22 grand slams and, you know, blah, blah, like all these, none of this happens without Roger. There's something to it of being the first. Like Roger didn't think that Rod Laver's record was probably ever breakable until Pete Sampras did it. Uh, you know, and Roger being the first one to hit that 20 mark made everybody else say, well, I got to do that too, you know, and, and that I think does deserve some credit uh, on Roger's behalf. And I think in the same thing, like to echo the dominance thing that I mentioned earlier, like Roger, Roger dominated the tour in a way that has never really been dominated before. Like, even in Pete Sampras, who was probably the best player pre-Rafa Nadal, uh, pre-Roger Federer, like, even even Pete Sampras, like, put him on a clay court, like, he gets neutralized. You know, like, put Bjorn Borg in the United States, and he seemingly gets neutralized in a way. But uh, Roger Federer, like, none of that applied to. The guy is the only person in tennis history to win five plus majors in a row at two separate tournaments. It's just like a staggering like statistic. Like there are just so many statistics that Roger has that you're just like, wow, like how did he do that? And like Novak and Rafa have done a lot of them or surpassed even a lot of them since. But there was one guy who made us think that it was possible and made them think that it was possible. And that's Roger. And I don't think that you get Rafa Nadal and Novak Djokovic unless there's a Roger Federer blazing the way. I think it's a really important point. I think there's certain athletes in all fields in all domains where they've raised the level of the game. And so you either are, you know, you either fizzle out cause you can't, get there or you rise up to that level and I think you know Rod Laver obviously was the first to do it um you know Borg did it McEnroe did you know Borg and McEnroe Jimmy Connors that generation did it uh Pete Sampras Agassi that generation did it um and you know that that period of you know at the end of the 90s early 2000s when it was this period of, okay, who's going to take the throne? Who's there? And, you you know, Roddick got a slam in that period. Safin got a slam in that period. We had Hewitt win a couple. And it was like, okay. And Federer got there in 2003, wins the Australian in 2004. And it's like, all right, this is the guy. And it wasn't until Rafa, and this is, you know, a huge argument for why Rafa deserves to be in the conversation for the greatest of all time. Um, 
you know, I, I guess, you know, he does have the major record right now, but I don't think he gets thought about as much as Novak or Federer, to be honest. But Rafa was really the only guy who on any surface said, I can beat this guy, um, you know, which, you know, which makes Rafa's stature go up. But I think it's a great point that like Roger Federer in 2004 truly, you know, tennis got to a new level. And, you know, I don't think there's any met like that 2004 U.S. Open when he plays Layden Hewitt and wins 6-0, 7-6, he, he wins two sets in a major final, 6-0. I mean, will we ever see that again? I, I don't know. But it just shows, like, that is, that is absolutely stupid. You know, like, that doesn't make any sense. But it just shows how dominant he was. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a great point, Frankie. This one doesn't seem as obvious, but I think him winning one of his greatest accomplishments was winning the 2009 French Open. And uh, and it seems like, oh, well, you know, Nadal lost and he didn't have to play him. But the fact of the matter is that he could have easily lost to anybody else. And especially Robin Soderling, who was playing out of his mind and clearly beat, you know, he beat Nadal and everyone thought, oh, my God, could he maybe win it all? He seized that opportunity uh, like no other, and it earned him uh, the career Grand Slam, which I think is very, very overlooked. I think Completely that's, agree. Yeah. Completely agree. I think that's important to bring up. The other one I had, which I think gets forgotten because he didn't win the tournament, was when he beat Novak in the 2011 uh, French Open. When Novak was on a 41-match win streak, he had played Nadal in Madrid and Rome, beat him in Madrid five and four, beat him in Rome four and four. Was just looked like a different, you know, it was like, holy, who is this guy? Like Novak was just on a different planet. Um, and, you know, I recently just saw the highlights of that match. And that's some of the, you know, for your listeners out there, if you want, 15 minutes of just pure tennis excellence. Razzles has got shout out to Razzles. Uh, he's got an incredible highlight video of that, of that match. And it's like no other clay court match. They're both right on the baseline sliding. It's just incredible tennis. Um, and it just showed that like, you know, every now and then, because at, at that point, 2011, Fed's playing good tennis, but he's not really at his prime. Um, and so I thought, that, you know, that's that's one that I want people to remember because it was just such an incredible, uh, incredible victory. Yeah, I think that that is pretty spot on. I, I think that like that is sort of the range like that 2009 when Rafa first wins the Australian Open to like 2011 2012 with the emergence of Djokovic that era is sort of like that weird limbo when it was not entirely clear who was going to be the best one of the three like if Fed was going to drop off if he wasn't going to drop off so I think that that is also a very important time sort of to highlight between the three because that era actually like when you really think about it is probably the closest like confluence of each of them being at the same level where like Rafa is maybe like approaching his peak, 
Novak is approaching his peak and Roger is falling from his peak. So like they're not all at their peak, but they're all like kind of at the same level. It's like this weird thing in that era. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I was just thinking, you know, you, you look at the end of, am I, am I, uh, sorry, my thing's not going. Okay, sorry. Um, I was just thinking like the end of Fed's dominance, right? You know, 04, he loses his number one ranking when Rafa takes him out at Wimbledon 08, one of the great matches of all time. Um, but, you know, you think about 08 where, you know, Frankie, your point of like, Things were changing. They're all kind of like getting to their prime. The Aussie Open, Novak wins in 08. French, Rafa wins. Uh, Wimbledon, Rafa wins. U.S. Open, Fed wins. 2009, uh, the Australian. Does Fed win the Australian? That's the first year that Rafa wins it, I think. Or whatever. Right, right. Right, so Rafa wins 09, 2010, sorry, 2009 French, Fed wins, 2009 Wimbledon, Fed wins, and then 2009 US Open, Del Potro wins, which he shouldn't have won. But it's just true. It's like people think like Fed's reign kind of ended at the end of whatever, 2008, but he still had an incredible 2009 he should have won three. He should have beaten Del Potro. Um, you know, he he could have won that 09. Well, uh, save, let's save the disappointments for next um, episode, Lucas. You know, <laughs> sorry. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself here. I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think that's a good point. One of his greatest accomplishments is that the man is the only tennis – the only male tennis player to ever win a tournament on blue clay – Yes, 2012 Madrid. Oh, come on. Really? The Madrid? That, that's really? Yeah. Ooh, what a hey. bad ending. Oh, my God. I don't Ooh. hate it. I, I don't hate it. Everyone hated that tournament. Fed was like, all right, I can deal with this. Didn't he also, no, didn't did. he also win the Battle yeah. of the Surfaces? Yeah. Did he win that one? See, no, Frank had to ruin it for us. Okay, Rafa anyways, that? yeah, that's well, going to be it from us, too. guys. Uh, Lucas, we appreciate you joining uh, we're going to have you on next week as well for the disappointments episode. Spoiler alert, that's what's coming. So definitely tune into that. Uh, Frank, run us through again. We're available on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Uh, we've got presence on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Google Podcasts. Where else are we, Frank, if I'm missing any? Uh, you're not. That's basically everywhere. You could also just check out linktree.com slash breakpointpodcast7. It'll have everything on there. Marcus and I have some big things planned for next year. Maybe I'll start to actually use the Twitter. Um, I also think that we may start like doing more like formal live streams that are not simply uh, just us on Instagram Live. Like Maybe we'll do like a Twitch thing. Who knows? But um we are excited for the next year. We appreciate Lucas hopping on with us, and we can't wait to finish the rest of Fed Simber yeah, with you guys. Thank you guys, I mean, Lucas. Anytime any I last get to talk about Fed, it's, it's a good it's a good day for me. So, uh, really appreciate it, and um, just want to give a quick shout out to your listeners that uh, you know this is about Fed, but just want to say Schoolyard Social. We're still throwing tournaments. 
follow us on Instagram. Um, that's where you'll find tournaments. So just want to throw that out there. <laughs> they also have a riveting and exciting yes, World yes. Cup wow, finale. Wow, very good for uh, you're, you're right coming on. up this Sunday, <laughs> if I remember correctly. There you go. So just saying, first 75 wow. people to sign uh, up, you, get free tickets. So that would be amazing. one of the first 75 thank people. Um, thank you guys, though. This is this is awesome. Love, Always love getting on this podcast. So look forward to the next one. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next time. See ya.